welcome to CropCast, a series of monthly podcasts covering topical issues throughout the season. We will also bring you some of the latest research from experts. My name is Tiffany McTaggart and today we will be discussing winter crop disease management, taking a look at T1 and T2 sprays. I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor Fiona Burnett and Dr Neil Havis from SRUC. Fiona is Head of Knowledge Exchange and Impact at SRUC and is an applied plant pathologist with focus on plant health and sustainable crop protection, while Neil is a senior plant pathologist and leads the crop protection team. Welcome along, Fiona and Neil. Hello, Tiffany. Hi, Tiffany. So this winter has been quite mild, although the the soil is slow in warming up. From what you've seen in the crops um, this year, what have you been seeing in your crop trials, Neil? Yeah, as you see, um, Tiffany, we had quite a mild winter. We had a very quite, well, an unusually warm autumn, so a lot of the crops were well established. So what we've seen at most of the trial sites is is good come through, uh, good germination, good establishment from the crops. Of course, the downside is you've got more potential crop to be infected with disease. But in general, we're happy with the way the trials are looking at this point. Well, I mean, that really mirrors what we're seeing out on farm as well. So the winter crops have established really well. As Neil said, that warm autumn has been helpful. So they're generally well established. They're thick, um, carrying slightly more disease than perhaps an average season just because of that um, lack of frosts and things. And at the minute, um, we're back to kind of moisture conditions, um, which has been helpful in terms of bringing through the spring crops as well. So if we start by taking a close look at the winter wheat, um, Fiona, could you tell us a bit more about what the disease pressure is like at the moment? So visually, the winter wheats perhaps look relatively clean. Um, The winter barleys are are much more visually dirty at the moment. Um, But as we've just said, the kind of warmer winter means that we are seeing septoria relatively easy to find in most crops. And it will probably start to tick upwards from this point. Um, we have a few reports of yellow rust, um, so going right across the country, Fife over to Ayrshire. Um, and we've seen a little bit more stem-based browning, which is eye spot related. So it's really a kind of package of diseases. And that's obviously the main target for our T1 sprays and what we're going to go on to discuss, how, how we best manage that spread of dis- disease problems. Probably fair to say, though, it's not been the, the same yellow rust pressure as last year. Certainly, I've seen a lot more at our trial sites and we've not seen as much this year. No, you're right, Neil. I mean, given the mildness, we might have thought we would see more than is there. Um, I'm confident it'll be hiding somewhere. (laughs) Uh, So looking forward um, at the T1 sprays, um, you're saying that the septoria, what sort of products are you going to be thinking about putting in the tank to control the septoria? Well, I mean, septoria has been a tricky target for us. It's the main target in wheat. Um, we've got some erosion uh, on efficacy um, on our azole and SDHI chemistry, um, although they remain very effective. But that kind of challenge that we've got to manage the disease as well is still there. So we'll be looking at products which have a strong azole base. So that could be um, prothioconazole based or it could be the newer azole um, as in Revastar uh, and Revisol. Um, but really important that we're supporting that with SDHI chemistry at this timing. And that brings in a broader spectrum of control, but it 
probably adds a bit of eye spot management as well, which is really useful at that T1 timing. And then the other pieces that we would definitely see an advantage to including a multi-site, uh, which is full pit at that timing. So it adds a little bit to efficacy and it's also helpful in terms of managing um, resistance risk. And, you know, chlorophalnol was our previous multi-site standard that we had um, very widely used uh, and brought good efficacy. And that kind of the move to using easels, strong easels, strong SDHIs supported by full pit is really where we're at at the T1 timing now, Tiffany. That's great. Do you have anything to add, Neil? Yeah, just as it's Fiona says, it's important to have that multi-site in. There's a lot of research and a lot of investment from companies going in to look at potentially other multi-sites. And I'm thinking at this point about sulfur. So there's a lot of interest and a lot of trial work going on to see if sulfur might be a, a suitable multi-site going forward. Because as Fiona said, having lost chlorothalnil, which is our go-to product, and Magazeb, the other multi-site, we're really down to one product. So that's never a good place to be in. So it's good to have some options. Yeah, definitely good to have some options. Um, you mentioned that there's yellow rust going around. Um, what would you, what changes would you make um, for the yellow rust? Well, I mean, that's an example where you might perhaps pick a different um, product. We, we're sort of strongly in the camp of using the most effective uh, available fungicides, but they all vary in their strengths. So perhaps, you know, a Latticera is one that gets picked out as having particularly good yellow rust uh, control. But we'll maybe get on to thinking of um, how you modify your inputs at this timing, depending on what you're seeing. And certainly if yellow rust is there, it might be a reason why you begin to go up the rates of chemistry, or you might add in an, an additional product, which might be uh, a strabilurin product. So that's a group of chemistry which doesn't work particularly well, if at all, in terms of managing septoria, where there's resistance to, to strabilurins, but they remain very effective in a rust situation. So adding that in um, just gives a useful additional thing if you're particularly concerned about the rust. But as Neil said, there's no particular alarm about the amount of rust we're seeing at the moment, but that might be a modification that you would make to your programme. Um, so if you've got a particularly dirty crop with Septoria, is there any modifications that you'd make for that? Yeah, I mean, ideally, we don't want to be in a scenario where one size fits all and everybody's treating every crop as if it's dirty. Um, but certainly for the riskier crops, the ones perhaps that were earlier drilled um, or the weaker varieties. But at this time of year, it's usually about drilling date as being the strong driver of the amount of disease that we're seeing. And that would be where we might be at slightly higher rates. Um, again, it would be those balanced mixtures, so lightly the STHI and the azole, but perhaps at a, a higher rate than you would do for a, a later drilled, lower risk crop. So that kind of reduction in rate but really keen that that's done in a balanced way. So it's great to be able to reduce um, the rates that you're using in response to what you're seeing, um, but do it in a way that the SDHI and the ASL are balanced and just keep the, the full pit in there. So it's about increasing or reducing the rate rather than taking things out of the programme, if that is logical. So we keep that diversity in the, in the mix. That sounds like good advice, Fiona. Neil, do you have anything to add? Just just to reinforce that message that Fiona is saying, and it's the importance of up and adjusting the rates depending on the the 
pressure that your crop is under, it just reinforces the point of how important it is to be walking those crops regularly to know exactly what conditions you have and what pressure, disease pressure you're up against. You can get indications from things like the SIUC Crop Protection Report on disease levels in your area, and you'll know something about the genetic resistance of the variety, but you need to walk that crop to get a good feel for what's actually going on in there. Yeah, it's maybe worth adding. I mean, I think at the moment, because, you know, the anticipated green prices are high, that the kind of do you just invest um, and perhaps invest over the top in your crop protection programs. And that's not the clever thing to do. So much like fungicide, eh, fertilizers, there's an optimum rate. And you, when you go beyond that, nobody's a winner. So the art is to pitch your inputs um, to the risk that you're seeing and then walk the crop, see how effective it's been, and then adjust what you do for the rest of the spray program as well. Great, thank you, Fiona. Um, so looking forward at the rest of the spray program, um, what would you th be thinking for a T2 spray on the wheat? So kind of keen that people plan from their T1, they think about what they might be using at the T2, and we've just talked about the need to walk crops and modify what you do. But I think having a plan for the season is really sensible. And again, if we think of um, both the spread of diseases you're trying to manage, um, and the resistance risks, it's really helpful to try and work in some diversity uh, into your programme. So thinking right through the programme lets you do that. Um, we would still be strongly on uh, an easel backbone to a programme at the flag leaf, but it is the most responsive timing. So definitely the timing that you want to be using the most effective products. Um, and I could name a few, which might be Ascra, which is a higher dose SDHI product. Um, it might be Revastar, which is a newer Azole base, again, with a, an SDHI. Um, and then the other one to mention would be um, Univoc, which brings a new active. And we can maybe go on to say a little bit more about that. But again, supporting that with full pits. So we've got a multi-site in there at the flag leaf timing. And the rates will likely be higher. I mean, this is the most responsive timing in wheat it's a timing where we have a much better feel for how much disease is there in the crop uh, how the season's beginning to develop so it we're usually in a position where we're more confident about the rates and products that we can use but that generally is is the kind of outline plan for a flag leaf spray um, but yeah using those really effective products at, at appropriate rates is is really key yeah, it's very good advice to um, have a plan for the season ahead. Um, I know Fiona wrote an article earlier this year on disease planning, which is available on the Farm Advisory Service website. And um, we want to take a, take a look at that. Um, Neil, do you have anything to add on the T2 timings on winter wheat? No, just as Fiona says, this is the one where you're trying to protect those top three leaf layers, which are really going to power the yield production in your wheat. So we're trying to keep them clean for as long as possible and photosynthesizing for as long as possible. So that's why it's important to know what the pressures are. And if this is the majority of your input in terms of fungicides, that's a sensible place to, to pitch it and you'll get the best return. Yeah, definitely need the best return possible. So Univoc is new chemistry, which is available. Are you able to tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really good to have something new to have into 
wheat programmes. And we've already touched on the kind of issues that we've got around resistance erosion on arazole and SDHI chemistry. And one of the kind of key ways to try and manage resistance is to alternate to different chemistry. And, you know, uh, Univoc brings us a chance to do that. So it's a, a group of chemistry called a QII, um, different from the QOIs, which are the strabilurins. Um, so genuinely new family of chemistry. And we're using them in a very balanced way, supported by the strong azoles. So it's available in a mix with prothioconazole, which brings that kind of balance. So one is supporting the other. But it does bring a chance to alternate away from an STHI. So we talked about using STHIs at T1 and using Univoc at T2 would be a way to reduce the pressure on the STHIs by using something different. But again, we would be supporting that um, with the multi-site um, full pit. And the the Univoc, the Fimpoximid, um, is the, you know, it's been classed as relatively high risk of resistance. Um, so it it's a single use product. You can use it once in the season. And again, as a new and very effective product, it makes sense to use it at the responsive flag leaf timing. You could choose to use it at T1, but I think a lot of people trying it will will use it at that flag leaf timing. That's great. Thanks. Neil, have you tried using Univoc in any of the trials? Um, yes, we've, we've seen it in trials work. It's, it's proved to be as effective as all the other chemical products that we have. So, yeah, it, as Fiona says, it's really exciting to have a completely new class of chemistry available for farmers and, and growers, but some of the older listeners might remember fondly the, the, the big hurrah when QOI fungicides first came onto the scene. And unfortunately, within three or four seasons, we were facing resistance issues. So I think that lesson has been learned by the industry. And as Fiona's mentioned, the stewardship of Univoc is going to be very carefully managed. It's good to have equally strong product partners when it's being used. So we've got our eye out and we're aware of the potential issues that, that might come from using it. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth uh, remembering what lessons have been learned. <laughs> um, so moving on to the winter barley, um, there is some rhincosporium to be found in crops this year's. Um, what's the best timing to be targeting rhincosporium? So our, our years of experience in SRUC trials and the work that we've done we know rhincosporium is really the kind of early season disease. It likes cooler conditions. It likes wet conditions. Probably what we'd expect to see in a, a springtime in Scotland. So this is this T1 timing. This is where you would be considering your major input to control rhincosporium. The, the crop's been in the ground for a good few months. The rhincosporium's had the chance to develop. As we've said previously, we've had a fairly mild autumn. So the pathogen's been there. And in the last couple of weeks, we had that warm spell, which has encouraged crop growth. And then we've had a cool, wet spell, which is going to encourage rain splash and the spread of the spores. So unfortunately, it, this is these are the conditions that Rhincosporium really likes. So again, it goes back to the point we made earlier about walking your crop, knowing the disease pressure and adjusting the rates up and down if you think you've got Rhincosporium or you have you can see Rhincosporium starting to come. Fiona, do you have anything to add? Well, I just wonder whether it's worth sort of talking about the spread of diseases that we're seeing in the winter barley crops this year, Neil, where you've had, you know, 
even yellow rust in trials, which is not one people associate with with barley crops, but brown rust, uh, mildew. We've seen little bits of stem-based browning mm. as well, um, net blotch and mildew. So, it, you, you know, the, just that diversity of disease means the kind of stronger chemistry makes absolute sense in the winter barley crops for me. And, and that's beginning to come through from the kind of comment on commercial farms yep. as well, that people are seeing visually quite a bit of disease in the winter barley crops. So the T1, it's the most responsive timing. We're trying to hang on to those side tillers. Um, yeah, it just makes sense to do something robust. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've had our eye on net blotch. Net blotch is usually considered that it's not so much of an issue up in Scotland because we're a bit cooler than possibly in England. But that warm autumn uh, would have been um, conditions very conducive to the spread of the pathogen. And just the point Fiona makes barley is susceptible and we've not had great success in breeding a lot of disease resistance into the barley varieties. So a lot of them are susceptible. So you have to consider how you're going to protect that crop. And unfortunately, that means there more of a reliance on the chemistry. So it's definitely worth going out and walking the crops regularly to find out what's there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you really need to know what's going on. This might also be worth just flagging that I think last year, the experience of rusts in some of the hybrid winter barleys yeah. um, was particularly noted by growers. So they might be ones to yeah, spend a bit of time doing some extra checks. Yes, absolutely. Uh- Absolutely. Anything with a, a six row, and we saw it's quite spectacular at one of our trial sites, the, the six rows. Six rows took yellow rust to levels we'd never seen, never seen in my working life. So you have to be aware of they are potentially more susceptible. Yeah, so it's good to watch out what's going on. So what uh, products would you be looking at putting in a T1 spray then? Just in the same way as we, Prothiconazole kind of forms the backbone of the barley disease programs, but we know that the SDHI uh, products are also very uh, active against Rhynchosporium. So you'd be looking at possibly something like Siltrex Pro, which has been a a, a proven uh, fungicide in barley crops, but this year we have a few new options. So we have Ascarex Pro, which has two SDHIs and Prothioconazole. And there's also Tevos, which is a SDHI and QOI uh, combination if people don't want to they use a nasal at that point in the program. So they've all got good uh, activity against Rhynchosporium. Fiona's mentioned fall pit in terms of uh, the wheat, but fall pit can also be used in barley crops as well. And it does actually have a label recommendation for Rhynchosporium. So if you're considering adding fall pit at the T1, you know you're getting protection of the chemistry that we're using and some activity against Rhynchosporium. I mean, it's always nice to keep a diversity of chemistry in in programs, and we have that luxury in in barley. So, because the strobilurins are still effective against those major diseases, um, they bring something additional uh, to barley programs and more genuine scope to mix and to alternate. Um, and again, you know, similar to the wheat, that kind of ability to tune the rates to what you're seeing. Um, keep as much in terms of diversity in the programme is good, but just bring the rates down and always do it in that balanced way. And is there any new chemistry um, in the barley that's coming through that we should be aware of? Unfortunately, Univox not approved yet for barley. We we wait with fingers crossed that it'll come through, but we could be waiting a couple of years. So 
nothing new in terms of chemistry, but those two new products I've mentioned, Askex Pro's new in Bali this year and the Tevos. So there are more options and there are older options. Fandango is still a good product as well. We've talked about Revistar in terms of disease control in wheat, but Revistar is also as a label recommendation for barley. But you would just decide, and we'll come on to Ramularia shortly, but you would just decide whether the T1 is the best time to use it or whether you, you keep it for later on in the program. As Fiona says, having diversity in the program and having other options is really important in your program. Excellent. That's great. Thank you, Neil. Very interesting. Um, so you mentioned Ramularia. That's going to be the next disease that's going to be coming in. <laughs> Are you able to hazard a guess at what the potential risk of Ramularia could be this year? Oh, if I if I could, if I had a crystal ball, Tiffany, I'd be a rich man. <laughs> um, so the work that we've done here at SRUC in the past points points to having, if you have warm and wet growing conditions for a crop from sowing, to ear emergence that you're going to run a higher risk of Ramularia. So that warm autumn makes us think, well, it could possibly be a, ra a Ramularia year for winter barley crops. But again, it just depends on what the weather does. And Ramularia, because it's so localised, the environment is such an important driver of disease expression. It makes it even more important to be walking the crops, walking the crops, but also knowing the history of Ramularia that you have on your farm. What we find is growers who, on a particular site, and you can even have a microclimate on the farm, we know climates can vary even within a small geographical distance. If you know you're growing barley on a site which has a history of Ramularia, and we know we've had warm weather conditions, then you, you're pretty good, a pretty good um, idea of how much at risk you are. Okay, we've we've kind of been lucky the last two years. We've had 2020 and 2021, we had those prolonged dry periods, which really did not favour the fungus. So for the last two growing seasons, Ramularia has not been a huge issue in winter valleys. So if Ramularia does end up being a bigger issue this year, what uh, recommendations would you make for the spray programme for a T2? Okay, so for T2, your, your product of choice to give you that Ramularia control would be Revistar. Um, in spring barley malting crops, your last application date is growth stage 45. So something to think about. In winter barley crops, you'll not be growing it for malting, unlikely. But still bear that in mind, your application date. Revistar is above the other products. We're still seeing some activity from Prothiaconazole. So something like Siltra X Pro will give you some activity or the Ascra that we talked about. We've also seen some activity from Fulpit in the HDB funded trials and also in some of the work that we've been doing at SRUC. So you generally be thinking a Revistar plus multi-site for, in this case, Fulpit combination would probably give you the best control. But as I said, you will get some activity from Siltra X-Pro or other Prothiaconazole SDHI mixes. But bear in mind, we always tell growers, chlorothalonil was such a standout product in terms of ramularia control. It's don't reach, have your expectation levels at that height. You will get good control, but you won't get the same control you had with CTL. So maybe just worth adding that the Revistar has a cutoff of 45 um, for the molten crops, um, less relevant for the winter barley. I know um, if you're growing for feed, then um, much less of an issue. 
uh, and that's mm-hmm. one of the drivers for prothiaconazole still being quite widely used. And maybe the other bit I was going to add when you were talking about ramularia risk, Neil, when you're right, you know, it's so hard to predict. <laughs> but one of the kind of what not to do's is the bit around stress. So we know that's one of the triggers for ramularia. And, you know, at the minute people are thinking about T1 sprays and quite commonly, you know, for efficiency reasons and for fuel saving reasons to sort of put together, you know, herbicides, growth regulators and T1 fungicides is really common. And it's quite easy to then get up to kind of five, six, seven way mixes. Um, and that's not ideal from a ramularia stress point of view. Clearly, nobody sets out to deliberately stress a crop, um, but that's one that we can probably avoid. So if at all possible, just separate out your your herbicides and your fungicide operations um, and at least take that risk out of the mix. Yeah, that's definitely good good advice, Fiona. Um, so are there any other diseases that you're looking to be targeting at T2 timing? So generally in, in winter barley, there's not great mildew resistance, so you'd probably be thinking about uh, good mildew control. So you might want to consider specific mildew aside, but prothiaconazole is a good all-rounder. So those products with prothiaconazole will give you some mildew control. In general, and by the time we get to T2 in the summer months, the temperatures don't favour rhynchosporium, so it can tend to become less of an issue. But again, need to be aware of the weather forecast and the growing conditions. If we have a lot of rainfall and it stays cool, the rhynchosporium is going to keep coming up the crop. So again, think about that. But those products that we've talked about, Revistar to control Ramularia and will give you good rhynchosporium control as well. Great. Thank you, Neil. Um, So we've been seeing a lot of chemicals disappear from our shelves over the past few years. What should farmers be thinking about to reduce the buildup of resistance when they're applying the T1 and T2 sprays this spring? We'll start with you, Fiona. Well, somewhat inevitably, we've had to touch on resistance issues just as we've been describing programmes. So, yeah, it's a very real concern. We're we're losing pesticides um, because of safety or environmental concerns anyway. Um, So they're under scrutiny. And then obviously further losses where we've got resistance issues are are very unwelcome. Um, And really the key principles there are about um, diversifying the chemistry. So mixing is, for me, one of the simple win-wins. You get a broader efficacy range across diseases, um, and it also helps to manage resistance. And it's a way of letting you reduce the rate as well. So if you used a single product, inevitably you'd be using a higher rate of that product, which for fungicide resistance, the evidence is really clear that um, lowering the rate is a good way of lowering the resistance risk as well, um, so long as you do it in a balanced way. So that's just the really key pieces. Um, Mixing, reducing the rate so that you're using the minimum that you need. And again, there's a win-win there because you're then getting the best margin um, using the multi-sites, again, is a really key piece because they are inherently much lower risk than the systemic chemistry. Um, so that helps to support. And then alternating, we've touched on that as well. And in the barleys, it's it's easier because we have more of the systemic chemistry in the mix. We've got strobes, SDHIs and easels and some support from a multi-site. Um, for wheat, we're much more reliant um, on easels and STHIs, but now that we've got uh, Univoc, that QII, we can get a bit of alternation in there too. 
So those are the kind of key principles. Um, and I'm always looking for those win-wins where there's a benefit to the individual. Um, and if you can get to the same route in terms of managing your crop, um, that also benefits the kind of wider stewardship piece around resistance. So that bit around diversity in the chemistry uh, and keeping doses as low as you can, that's helpful on the on the public scale, if you like, and helpful to individuals as well. Neil, do you have anything to add? Yeah, just to reinforce a point Fiona made about the importance of alternation, so alternating the products that you use. And as Fiona mentioned, now that Univox finally been approved for wheat, that gives wheat growers the chance to alternate products more effectively. In, in barley, we've probably got a bit more flexibility. So hopefully, with still having a multi-site available, we should be able to manage resistance in a in a in a balanced fashion across this season. Great, thank you. Um, if you want to think more about reducing resistance to chemicals, take a listen to the Cropcast um, on integrated pest management. There are currently supply chain problems with chemicals this year. What do farmers need to be aware of? Well, Tiffany, the, yes, supply chain issues across the piece, not just for crop production problems. Um, I think we've already referred to kind of trying to plan ahead with your programmes. So there's advantages to just planning a programme uh, in terms of getting that diversity of chemistry into what you're doing um, and thinking of resistance. But kind of the more so, I think getting orders in early is not the wrong thing to do um, and just modify the rates um, as you're going through the season. But, but put plans in earlier, reluctant to pick on a particular product because inevitably that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we name something now and everybody rushes off to buy it, um, that's not where we're at. So not aware of particular um, products um, but yeah, I think planning ahead brings lots of benefits and just get your orders in up front um, this year would be very sensible. Every season there's a shortage of something. Sometimes it comes true, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, being organised is key. Yeah, that's good advice. Final question for you both. Um, we'll start with you, Neil. What are your three top tips for the season ahead? Three top tips would... would... The first one would always be the same is, is for people to walk the crop so that they had a good feel for how the crop was doing. And that goes across in terms of disease, but nutritional requirements and pest problems as well. Um, planning, I think, be well planned, um, be prepared. And I guess the third one would be keep well informed about what disease pressures is out there. So look at information sources so you have an understanding, even speaking to your, your colleagues and peers in, in the, the region so you have a good understanding for what the disease pressure is like as we go through this season. Great. And the same question to you, Fiona. You're going to make me try and pick a different three to Neil, which makes it tricky. <laughs> um, I think uh, timing is key. So people always joke that, you know, the timing is actually more effective than the actual product. So I think that's a really key piece for the winter wheats, you know, really targeting the, the leaf three and the flag leaf and, and making sure you're right there. And similarly for the barley, where being protectant is very key for things like rhincosporium. So timing uh, would be my top tip. Um, and then picking the best products. So again, using the most effective chemistry that we've got where 
you know, our trials, AHDB trials help direct you to the, the best products. And then I think the third one was, you know, don't be shy to quiz why things are in the tank. If you're um, seeking advice from others, you know, what are actives doing there? Um, are they there at the right timing? So, you know, for example, if it's about managing a pest that's already done its damage, wheat bulb fly, treating retrospectively does nobody any good. Um, so if something's in the tank mix and you don't know why, just ask. That's excellent advice. Thank you both of you for your time today. It's been very interesting. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Cropcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please like, subscribe and follow our podcast. Leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find all of our contact details in the show notes below. You may also enjoy some of our other shows, such as Stock Talk, our monthly panel show providing timely advice on livestock management, or Thrill of the Hill, a monthly show featuring guest speakers who live and work in the upland environment. Join us again on the 18th of May for our next episode of Cropcast. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.